It's good to be here this Saturday morning. You know, we've experienced some historic uh, events over the last couple of weeks. There's been the Climate Change Summit at the United Nations, the launch of impeachment proceedings against uh, President Trump, the whole forgiveness controversy uh, in the courtroom in Texas. And Beth, our own United Methodist denomination continues to struggle with its uh, theological perspective, especially around human sexuality. That's right. So uh, we should let our listeners know that today's show is simply entitled Current Events. And we want to just spend some time discussing uh, these these events that we've named uh, from the perspective of uh, progressive Christian thought. We want to thank everybody for um, all that um, you did to uh, support our recent um uh, fundraiser, our, our fundraising uh, drive for the for the fall. I just uh, want to send out a huge thank you to all of our donors and fund drive sponsors, uh, and especially those who supported us here on Counterbalance, Beth. Um, we will be sending out those uh, one-of-a-kind souvenir Counterbalance mugs to everybody who supported us during the, the fund drive uh, uh, shortly. Uh, our future here at KZUM is very bright because of the support from our community. Together, all of us working together, we were able to raise over $40,000, uh, which was what we needed to do in order to qualify for the uh, matching grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We, uh, we're so excited and we're so grateful. Thank, thank you, everyone, for uh, supporting us and helping us stay on the air. We feel that KZUM is a, a tremendous resource for the community of Lincoln and, and for all those who uh, listen to us online, literally around the world. And uh, your contributions help us to continue to be on the air. Our show focuses on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. We've named our show Counterbalance because we seek to counterbalance more conservative Christian perspectives. My name is Richard Randolph, and I'm one of the co-hosts for Counterbalance. And I'm Beth Menhusen, your other co-host here at Counterbalance. Uh, Richard and I are both pastors at Christ and Connection Point United Methodist Church here in Lincoln. One church in two locations with two different personalities, but a shared commitment to acting inclusively, seeking God, serving others, and working for justice. That's right. At Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome, include, and affirm all persons, regardless of their ethnicity, economic class, or sexual orientation. We recognize that all persons are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. For more information about our church, please visit ChristUMCLINC.org or ConnectionPointLNK.org. Beth, we're calling this episode Current Events, and this morning we really want to hear from our, our listeners even more than ever. We want to hear your thoughts on these crucial current events that are occurring all around us. And we also want to know um, if you feel that there are other important current events which we may be overlooking uh, this this morning. That's right. So we're encouraging everybody to call in and let us know what you're thinking. There's several ways to share your thoughts. You can telephone into KZUM by calling 
474-5086, extension 1. And if you have a contribution but don't want to go on the air, that's fine. We'll take your call off air and then and then share a summary of your thoughts with our listeners. Uh, our listeners can also message us questions on Facebook by just going to Counterbalance uh, KZUM on there. And we also have a Twitter at CB Radio KZUM. That's right. So we're really looking forward to hearing from our listeners uh, this morning uh, as we talk about um, uh, different current events. And um, Beth, uh, the first current event that I'd like to discuss occurred during a a trial in Texas this week. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, Dallas police officer Amber uh, Geiger returned to her apartment after a long 13-hour shift as a police officer. She parked her car in the uh, apartment garage and entered the apartment building from the garage. When she inserted the key into her apartment door, she discovered to her horror that her door was already unlocked and opened. And so she cautiously entered her apartment with her service revolver already drawn. Once inside the apartment, Geiger, who is white, encountered a very large black man. When he started towards her, she fired in self-defense, killing him. The man was um, Botham Jean from the Caribbean island of St. Lucia. Unfortunately, Officer Geiger had accidentally parked her car on the wrong level of the parking garage. And so the apartment which she entered was not her own apartment. Her apartment was located one floor below. Instead, the apartment belonged to Bothan Bothan Jean, or Jean, excuse me, the victim. So Officer Geiger had accidentally entered the apartment of another person and then shot him dead in his own apartment. That's right. Uh, Officer Geiger's trial took place over the past several weeks in Dallas. Uh, She was ultimately found guilty of murder and sentenced to just 10 years in prison. Um, Then uh, at the end of the trial, a surprising turn of events occurred. Uh, Brant Jean, the younger brother of the victim, took the stand to describe what the loss of his older brother meant to him uh, and to his family. And we're just going to play uh, the, the clip of, of what Brant Jean had to, had to say. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. 
I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. So that was the clip of uh, Brant Jean, uh, his words to his brother's killer. Uh, so the kind of the controversy that's that sprung up around this, a lot of uh, Christians, especially white Christians, are um, applauding him for his act of forgiveness, which is really remarkable. It's really uh, profound. Mm-hmm. I think. And and the, watching the video, I mean, not just hearing it, but seeing him, uh, you know hug her and, and say these things is, is very moving and it's it's touched a lot of people um, especially across social media um, and white Christians are really focusing on this as such an act of, of Christian forgiveness and Christ-like behavior um, but there but there's controversy uh, here too because um, black uh, people from the black community um, you know other people uh, people are uh, are questioning I guess uh, maybe our, our motives in you know spreading this video so far and wide and having so much conversation about it um, especially uh, Reverend uh, Cornell William Brooks who is the for, who's been a uh, president of the NAACP he's a professor at Harvard um, he's really um, been been challenging I think uh, those on social media who would share the video who would um, kind of hold it up as this great example of forgiveness um, to think about the greater issues um, at hand that it that it points to that it um, that it that it might be overshadowing I guess right he um, he has uh, been I think quite critical and um you know uh, Beth just watching this video um what we can't show on on radio I think is the embrace um mm-hmm. seemed clear to me that um uh that the police officer Amber uh, Geiger really was so touched and moved by um by the brother's um gesture and just, I mean, you know, really needed that hug as a part of her healing. And uh, so it was a very poignant moment when, when you look at it on Facebook or on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess I, um, I have some problems uh, with the, with the uh, social criticism of, of what happened and the way it's been portrayed uh, in the media um, because um, I, I think that um, you know it was it was just such a remarkable example of Christian forgiveness, um, and I just wonder: can't we just accept it for what it is? That that doesn't mean that issues um, 
raised by the Black Lives Matter uh, group or the professor... uh, Professor Brooks. Brooks from uh, Harvard, um, or any of the other issues raised about uh, inequality, racial inequality in our in our country are wrong. Um, I, I fully support Black Lives Matter. I really uh, feel that um, as white Americans, we are still struggling uh, with these racial issues that have defined our, the history of our country, really. Uh-huh. I mean, if you go all the way back to the first slaves who were brought over from Africa back in, I think it was the 1700s. Uh, this has been a terrible blight on our country. I think our, our country, our society has suffered tremendously because of, of racism. And um, and uh, uh, so I, I don't want to set aside or um, in any way undermine the claims of the importance of our our society continuing to address uh, racism. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this was just such a poignant moment between uh, really two different individuals. Um, I don't think that there was any animosity. This was not a premeditated murder by Officer Geiger. I, I just think that she was exhausted and just made a mental mistake and then got frightened and and sort of follow the training that she'd been given as a police officer. Uh, it, it resulted in a, in a, in a tragedy for sure. Um, one that, you know, I wish we could just sort of have a redo on this, but um, I think we need examples of um, this type of forgiveness in our society, even at the same time that we don't forget about the, the racism uh, that continues to plague us. Uh, you may have a different take on that, Beth. Yeah. So, I mean, like reading some of what happened um, and the, you know, information that came out during the trial, um, Amber Geiger had a history of racist comments um, and posts on social media. Um, so, I mean, the whole, you know, not being, I don't know that it was, could say it was premeditated, but she wasn't a person without, you know, animosity. Um, and then I think important when it came out of the trial too was like, yeah, she was following her training, but was it good training? Is it the kind of training we should be giving to officers? Right. Um, and th- those were things that um, Botham Jean's uh, John's mother um, raised in her in her statement. And right. I think for me, what's unfortunate is that the um, the video of of Brant hasn't isn't being accompanied by the words of his mother who spoke after him to the press um, because she talks about she says you know I'm proud of my son for forgiving her um, but forgiveness can't come without I mean or it has to accompany repentance so it has to accompany you know Amber really changing her life um, and the, the system changing the way it operates, the police department changing its protocols. Um, and, and so I, I think, I mean, that's the story that I would rather see told is like forgiveness is important, but it needs to come with, uh, with repentance as well. There's, uh, in the conversation on Twitter, um, I've been following this Reverend Cornell William Brooks, um, 
you know, he said, his statement was that for 25 years I've fought and taught others to fight back, um, you know, and I, but I've preached forgiveness. Uh, however, using the willingness of black people to forgive as an excuse to further victimize black people is sinful. America should ask black people forgiveness to serially, uh, for asking African-Americans to forgive sanctioned police brutality. And then uh, somebody responds to him um, and said, it quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a, um, like one of the great uh, theologians of the 20th century, who said that cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. And how do evangelicals praise black people for their willingness to forgive, but won't preach about the need for the criminal justice system to repent with accountability? Um, and so I guess I would really, I, th I think we should, you know, commend Brandt and I think we should see it as, as his way of healing from the loss of his brother. Um, you know, watching the video, I think it was something that he needed to do for his own freedom. Um, but I also think, I just think, I think it's good to have the conversation about forgiveness and how it's a Christian value and we need to do it, but it needs to be accompanied by, uh, the conversation about accountability for our criminal justice system, the accountability of white people. One thing that's being raised in the conversation is that 10 years is nothing for shooting somebody in cold blood. Uh, people have gotten put away for longer uh, for possessing marijuana. Um, so, I mean, 10 years in jail isn't fun for anybody but in the scope of things, it's kind of a slap on the wrist. I mean, she's eligible for parole even after five years. Right. Um, so it's really not a very, a very big punishment. And while so you said, I, I have a problem with that, just sort of comparing, you know, sentences. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like this is such a unique case that it's it, that to just start going, well, she only got 10 years. That's just a slap on the wrist. Ten years is ten years. I mean, that's a long time, um, and um, I don't, I don't know that I think it's helpful to do that sort of cal calculus in this case because it is a unique case. Um, that's just my opinion, uh, and and obviously we've we talked before we went on the air. And we we realized that we would be disagreeing mm -hmm. on this. Um, I think that uh, in some ways my concern is taking this tragedy and then trying to sort of use it as a leverage for um, for changing, for, for social change, um, uh, for, um, yeah, for social change, using it as a leverage for that, as a lever for that. I am, and I'm sort of caught in, in the middle here because I, I really... I really believe that we need to make changes in our criminal justice system and in our, um, and, and, and in our, and I'm speaking of whites here, in our relationship with other uh, persons of other uh, races, um, persons of color. I, 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 I get all of that, but at the same time, sometimes it just seems to be, and this is a case where it just seems inappropriate why can't we just celebrate this gentleman's bravery and compassion and faithfulness to just say, I forgive you. Um, and let that be a, a model for us in terms of our own lives. Um, 
to be more willing to forgive. We uh, have a lot of work to do with racial um, uh, relations in our country. We have a lot of things we need to do to bring about justice and and and, and uh, reconciliation. But I think that part of that has to be a willingness for people to forgive one another. And this is a great example of forgiveness. So I, I'm, I feel a little queasy when we start leveraging this out um, uh, in the way that it's uh, occurred in the social media. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I, um, I don't know. And I guess you can say, yeah, I should just stop there and be, you know, let it be one family's tragedy. Um, but two families tragedy. Two fam- well, actually. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I think it is a good example of forgiveness and something we can learn from. Um, I think white people fall short of. I think they're, we're falling short as a people of, of Brandt's example. Um, and I think... Um, and there I agree with you 100%. Yeah, we yeah. can't just always let it be black people, you know, forgiving us for, you know, killing them. I think we need to, to ask for forgiveness um, in turn. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think... I... I, I I, I just I hope for healing for the family at the end of the day is the is, is the hope and that something like this doesn't happen again and I think you know we, I think we can move on from from this instance and continue work for justice and criminal justice reform and police reform and I hope that's what happens um, but I, I mean you know, I'm glad that Brant got the healing that he needed and I, I hope the best for everybody in this situation. Right. Um, thanks for those reflections, uh, Beth. You know what? We're still hoping that we'll get some uh, listeners' calls today. Um, call in and let us know what you think about uh, the situation in Dallas. We'd really love to hear from you um, and uh, have you provide some enlightenment for Beth and I uh, as we struggle uh, with this uh, with this particular case. Um, so there are several ways to share your thoughts. You can telephone us here at KZUM by calling 402-474-5086 and choosing extension 1. If you have a contribution but you don't want to go on the air again, we'd be glad to to listen to you and talk with you and then sort of recapitulate your perspective on air. Um, Beth, our listeners can also um, message us questions on Facebook and by just going to the counterbalance KZUM uh, page on Facebook, as well as our, we have a Twitter account at uh, CB Radio KZUM. That's right. We're going to take a, a short break, but we'll be right back with more conversation about other current events uh, happening across our country this in the last few weeks. And welcome back to Counterbalance Radio here on KZUM. We uh, are talking uh, this uh, morning about different current events. My name is Richard Randolph, and I'm one of the co-hosts for uh, Counterbalance Radio. Um, We had been talking about the uh, trial in Dallas where um, the uh, police officer had shot um, an unarmed man in his own apartment, and the forgiveness she received uh, at the uh, sentencing 
when uh, uh, she was forgiven by uh, one of his, uh, well, his his younger brother, Brant. Um, this has uh, been, to some degree, uh, a controversial thing, um, and uh, we, uh, Beth and I have been talking about it. Uh, Beth and I have shared uh, different uh, perspectives that we have on um, on this issue a little bit. I think um, Beth pointed out um, that in an article, uh, this is while we were in break, uh, Beth pointed out an article that she read that pointed out that there have been other times when um, African-American persons have forgiven a white person for a atrocious uh, uh, crime. Uh, we think uh, of the incident in South Carolina uh, several years ago where uh, a racist uh, gunman walked into a church and, and shot people in the middle of a Bible study and how compassionate the, the survivors and the other members of the church were uh, for that uh, for that in, individual. And um, so uh, this continues to be uh, um, something that, that we've been talking about and thinking about, uh, reflecting on. I do want to just emphasize that for Beth and I, we both feel very strongly that we need, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around racism in our country, obviously. And um, uh, white, uh, white people uh, need to be asking for forgiveness uh, for black people and uh, also being willing to forgive, uh, as we have in the, the example of uh, Brant Jean, as well as uh, pre- previous things that have happened uh, in, our, in our society. Beth's been on the phone with a caller. Beth, um, oh, wait a minute, Beth. I don't have you on yet. Okay. So I had I had Chris on the phone, um, and he just wanted to uh, to say that you know, he appreciated the kind of the stickiness of this conversation. I mean, what a difficult to- uh, you know topic it is. Um, but the he pointed out that often when we when we Christianize, I guess. Um, uh, a scenario like this, um, it seems that in uh, doing so in this day and age, that brings along its own set of like power dynamics. So we have like the, um, the you know, the racial power dynamic going on here, and then you add in this religious dynamic, um, and it really, it really complicates things. And, um, you know, and, and he was just reflecting on, um, on the situation and how, you know, it's really hard to know um, exactly what happened and, you know, who had what motives um, and, and all, and all of those things. So I think just his appreciation for how complicated the, the discussion is this morning. Well, I really appreciate that call from uh, Chris and some really good uh, insights. I think Um, I hadn't, I like the term, the stickiness of the, we're feeling a little sticky in the studio today, uh, talking to one another. Um, And um, while you were receiving the phone call, Beth, I was talking about uh, our conversation during the break Mm -hmm. about, about, um, you know, uh, other cases, particularly the case with the church in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, Any final thoughts, Beth, before we move on? I... I guess my, I guess my, I would echo, um, you know, Brant and, and Botham's mother that, you know, who said, you know, forgiveness is great, but, but now it's our turn to show repentance, you know? Right. Um, I, I think that maybe is the takeaway, you know, it's, 
for those of us who have, you know, um, who, who have power, who have a vote, um, you know, who have a say in, in, in policing and criminal justice, uh, you know, all those things, um, I, I think, um, it's up to us to, you know, we, we need to repent of, of the, the harm that we've done, um, and, um, and, and make positive change so that these things stop happening, um. You know, like I said, it's, it's, it's sad that, you know, after Charleston, you know, years ago now, um, no real meaningful reform or improvement uh, has, has come about in our country in terms of, of race or gun violence or, you know, those kinds of things. So. Right. And I, I always think, well, what's the role of a Christian? Um, you know, I, as a progressive Christian, I feel that my faith should inform not just my, my spirituality, but also the way in which I lead my life. And mm-hmm. so I think what this conversation for, has done for me today is to just like raise questions, okay, about for me personally, where do I go forward from here in terms of um, fighting against racism, fighting for equality? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot, a lot for me to think about as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of things that have been going on in our, our country and in the world, and we wanted to talk a little bit about climate change mm-hmm. uh, today and about uh, the, the climate summit that was held in, at the United Nations, um, uh, er, I guess, earlier couple, this week. Well, a couple weeks ago, um, And in particular, uh, the speech by the young uh, Swede uh, uh, a girl, uh, Greta Thunberg. Uh, I thought it was um, indicting and inspiring speech. Yeah. So um, we'd like to play that at this point and um, just have, it, it's not long, so we're going to ask you to um, to listen to the speech and then Beth and I'll uh, have some comments on it. And of course, we really are, are seeking your phone calls today uh, just your thoughts about what's um, about what we're talking about and about what's going on in our country. So uh, at this point, we'd like for you to li- listen to uh, this uh, speech. My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 15 years old and I'm from Sweden. I speak on behalf of climate justice now. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. But to do that, we have to speak clearly, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. You only speak of green, eternal economic growth because you are too scared of being unpopular. You only talk about moving forward with the same bad ideas that got us into this mess, even when the only sensible thing to do is pull the emergency brake. You are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. But I don't care about being popular. I care about climate justice and a living planet. Our civilization is being sacrificed for the opportunity of a very small number of people to continue making enormous amounts of money. 
our biosphere is being sacrificed so that rich people in countries like mine can live in luxury. It is the sufferings of the many which pay for the luxuries of the few. The year 2078, I will celebrate my 75th birthday. If I have children, maybe they will spend that day with me. Maybe they will ask me about you. Maybe they will ask why you didn't do anything while there still was time to act. You say you love your children above all else, and yet you are stealing their future in front of their very eyes. Until you start focusing on what needs to be done, rather than what is politically possible, there is no hope. We cannot solve a crisis without treating it as a crisis. We need to keep the fossil fuels in the ground, and we need to focus on equity. And if solutions within this system are so impossible to find, then maybe we should change the system itself. We have not come here to beg world leaders to care. You have ignored us in the past and you will ignore us again. We have run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We have come here to let you know that change is coming, whether you like it or not. The real power belongs to the people. Thank you. And that was Greta Thunberg looking at the video. I think I think that was actually her speech last year. This uh, just a couple weeks ago. I mean, she still is on the same message, but she was much more um, emotional. Um, okay. I think the quote, well, the what went viral was, "How dare you." Um, she said to the world leaders, um, for, <laughs> um, you know, she says, how dare you, you've stolen my dreams in my childhood. Um, and so I, I think, I think the speech that we just played actually, um, although a year older is, lays out some good points mm-hmm. is a little, it's a less emotional than last week's, but, um, but, but both meaningful. And uh, last week she was speaking at the climate summit, um, in kind of the, Oh, in the wake of um, of the climate strikes across the world, um, that you know started as something that she was doing on uh, on Fridays, just like walking out from school um, was her was was what she was doing as as a way to protest, um, you know, climate change and the fact that so many of our leaders aren't doing anything about it. Um, but then. On September 20th, climate strikes took place um, across the world um, in, in, in lots of major cities. Um, and the, the numbers, uh, they're estimating that 7.6 million people um, took to the streets between uh, September 20th and 27th uh, of this year um, to speak up about the need uh, for, for action on climate change now um, and the need for all of us to get involved. And it has primarily been, you know, young people leading these strikes, um, trying to get, you know, the, the older generations, the, the leaders who, who have decision-making power to, um, to, to stand up and, and make some, um, some reform. 
Uh, and uh, what I like about, uh, so going onto the Global Climate Strike webpage, um, they acknowledge that it doesn't end here. Like, um, you know, one day or one week of marching, um, protesting isn't enough. You know, what needs to happen is... Uh, is change on a, on a global scale and soon. Um, they have resources on the website um, for for staying informed and for talking to your legislatures. Um, you know, continuing to to pressure um, people who can who can make a difference um, in terms of our our carbon emissions um, and remitting our carbon emissions and all of those things. Um, one one thing, for instance, an online action you can take is uh, to sign the petition to get uh, Facebook to stop uh, running ads or accepting ad money from fossil fuel companies. Um, so, you know, they, Facebook is a company that's committed, that has said it's committed to reducing its carbon footprint, um, but they're still accepting money from clim- companies that are causing climate breakdown. And so one thing that they're encouraging people to do on the website is to, to pressure Facebook, um, you know, to divest from that, which I think is a, something practical um, that, that, you know, we can do, you know, email Facebook um, and that Facebook could do. I mean, they already... Um, do not accept money from uh, like tobacco companies or firearm manufacturers. And so this wouldn't be that far of a stretch. That's a, that's a great information, Beth. Thank you so much. I've got a, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Is climate change a spiritual issue? I think it is. Um, why, why, why do you say that? I mean, why, why, should, why should Christians care? Mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think because just like, you know, if you believe as a Christian that we are created by God um, and we should value one another as part of God's creation, then earth too is created by God and we should value earth as part of God's creation. Um, And I think my my spirituality isn't tied strictly to... um, to scripture. I mean, it's rooted in scripture, sure. but my spirituality is also connected to the earth, to nature, to the ways I, I see, I see God, um, God in nature around me, mm-hmm. uh, to the rhythms of the earth around me. Um, and so, you know, to lose, to, to see the earth destroyed, uh, is as painful spiritually as seeing another human being right. destroyed. Um, and I, I, th- I think, uh, especially in this case, in such an extreme case of you know facing, you know, the serious climate change, um, we're not just talking about the life of the earth; we're talking about our own lives too, and and protecting, uh, having a life to live, you know, is mm-hmm. is, is important to me. Um, right. I think it is to most people. Well, it, as you know. Nature is a huge part of my own spirituality, mm-hmm. Beth. Um, I, um, as a pastor, I frequently surprise people when I say, um, you know, I feel closer to God in nature than I do in any any sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, although I feel close to God in sanctuaries as well, but um, I've just had these um, over the course of my life these remarkable experiences in nature where I felt. 
uh, just over, over, overwhelmed by God's presence in nature. And um, I also think that um, I also think that we are called uh, by God to to be stewards of creation. It's right there in Genesis one. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could just move past, you know, the whole creationist controversy about Genesis one, and mm-hmm. just look at what does the text actually say? Well, what the text says is that God affirms all of creation, even slugs and anacondas, mm-hmm. and uh, also um, that um, that were called that that were set aside by God, created in God's image, and that no other species on planet Earth is created in God's image. Uh, but um, we are um, created in God's image. That's a, pr- a privilege, but also a responsibility to care for the creation. And um, and I think that um, that uh, well, uh, at this point, the most um, the most pressing environmental issue that we have right now is, is global climate change, and it's so so major and. Um, I guess I feel that the church has failed to be prophetic enough about global climate change. Mm-hmm. And um, what I like about this speech, even if uh, if it was a year old, is that what as a Christian, when I hear this, I th- it thinks I think to myself, yes, we as a church need to be far more prophetic than we are. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just think this is uh, very important for progressive Christians um, because um, uh, I, you know, I just, without putting down any other Christian group, I just feel like this is, if anybody from within Christianity is going to be a part of the movement um, to to counteract uh, climate change, it has to be progressive Christians. Right. So. I think the kind of the competing perception out there um, by some some Christians is that, well, we're just going to go to heaven anyway. So, uh, and if we need something, God's just going to, you know, wave like a magic wand and fix it. Um, so why should we worry about this earth here and now? Uh, and that's where... Um, you know, I go back, like you said, to Genesis one, where because God said to because God said to take care of it. You know, God said to steward it. Um, but then also, I go to something Jesus said when he was talking to the disciples, and he said, "The kingdom of heaven is here." Right. Um, so the concept that this life now is of little importance for the spiritual uh, and for Christians is absurd to me. Um, the kingdom of heaven is here, and God calls us to take care of it, to steward it. And I think being honest about climate change data um, and being proactive um, about taking action um, to, to to stop this, you know, train that's about to crash right. um, is part of our call as Christians. Um, Beth, we're running out of time. Um, one of the things we had thought we might talk about would be this controversy that's going on in the United Methodist Church around the place and role of uh, LGBTQ plus persons within our denomination. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we're seeing right now is sort of a frag- fragmentation of different 
shall we call them, theological expressions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's the traditionalist uh, expression and then a group that's called moderate and then uh, progressive. And then just recently, um, one of the more progressive groups uh, came out and said, well, we also need to have uh, room in our denomination for a, a group of uh, a theological expression, which they call liberationist, liberationist. Uh, I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that word today. <laughs> Liberationist. There, there we go. go. I got it out. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that um, that impulse from that particular group is because of a sense that uh, the word progressive is being co-opted by moderates so that it no longer means what what we all thought it did. Right. What, what you and I thought that it meant. Mm-hmm. When we titled uh, our show, ten years, uh, ten months ago, when we titled our show, yeah. Uh, but the, but here's the thing that really bothers me Re, uh, within our, our United Methodist denomination. I'm just going to put this out uh, because it has to do with climate change. Um, you know, um, none of the four expressions, at least in the reading that I've done about them, talk about the centrality and the importance of science as a part of our understanding of theology and what God calls us to be and to do. Mm-hmm. Not a single one of them talk about science. And we have this situation in our country where uh, we, think as though, we think as though science and religion are somehow at war against one another, in conflict with one another, and this harms both science and religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly harms Christ- Christianity uh, climate change is all about the science, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we have this skeptical view of science, when we're not even sure we want to believe in science because it might undermine our faith, well, for starters, what kind of faith do you have if you think it's going to be undermined by by science? But even more importantly, why are we cutting this out? Uh, and I think part of the reason why the church has failed to be... Uh, more prophetic on climate change is because of our allergy to <clears throat> to science. I think regardless of the expression of theological expression within the United Methodist Church, and you can extrapolate that to most other Protestant denominations, Baptists, mm-hmm. Lutherans, uh, Presbyterians, etc. cetera. Uh, we as, uh, as 21st century Christians need to come to terms with science and embrace that and incorporate science as a gift from God and as having something important to say about climate change as well as about other important uh, uh, issues. So uh, that's my little soapbox for the day, but I do think it's really important. And so Uh when we talk about being prophetic within the church on climate change, Uh we need to begin with affirming and and actually listening to science, yeah. I mean, I think I think that that's a good observation that I hadn't really thought of before. Um, I get part of. I, I almost want to ask a bigger question. Um, so right now, I mean, the proposal that sets up four different denom- new denominations. Um, not only does it not talk about science, I think the bigger thing is still even within that um 
the question is kind of what are our sources of authority right. for like quote Christian living? And so, like I mentioned earlier, like scripture can be, is a source of authority in my life, but also like, I feel like the created world is a source and its ways of being are a source of authority. Right. And so I think what you're, you're saying science should be a source of authority. That's right. And I think it's time as, you know, any kind of like progressive or liberationist movement that we name that instead of kind of just, saying like, oh, the Bible and also, you know, and we also think this is important and the other things, I think we need to say no. I think, I think, I think we have done ourselves, done the world wrong for too long by not claiming science as a source of authority, right. by not claiming the created world as a source of authority. Um, and so I would just like to see those things clearly defined, like you're saying. Right. I, I agree. And, and, you know, one of the problems is when we when we look only to the the scriptures as um, a source of authority, we're really confining God in a way in terms of how we're even listening to God. Right. Well, listen, this is all the time we have for uh, this morning. Um, this has uh, been sort of an experimental show. So we've uh, just talked about uh, current events. Thank you uh, so much for listening to uh, Counterbalance Radio. Uh, my name is Richard Randolph, and along with Beth Minhusen, we co-host Counterbalance uh, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to um, another show next Saturday at 9 a.m. Central.